Welcome to Myth of Ladies, a podcast where we talk about women from mythology and folklore all over the world. We're your hosts. I'm Zoe. And I'm Lizzie. And how are you today, Zoe? I'm alright. I'm pretty tired, actually. It is finals week, about to start. Um, Next week is finals week. I finished my classes yesterday. Pretty wild. That's crazy. Yeah. That's so early. It is early. It's not even May yet. Like, what the heck? And also... I'm like done, almost done with my sophomore year of college, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, you're going to be like an upperclassman now. Yeah. But, you know, we're pushing through. I only have a few big projects I have to do, so that's good. Very excited for that. Not really, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> it'll be fine. How are you? Um, I'm good. I um, My big news in my life is that I finally got this ADHD evaluation that i've been waiting for for like six months right i have adhd yay yay on the adhd yay i tried to make adhd cupcakes so like cupcakes that i wrote adhd on Uh uh-huh and then i tried to do the lettering and gave up (laughs) and then because the bat the pastry bag kept breaking i was like this was not worth it and then i had like one cupcake that had a on it Mm-hmm. and uh, whatever and then my friend was like that's like so adhd <laughs> to stop doing the lettering and i'm like fair enough but like yeah. it was i got like really cheap pastry bags and it was hard yeah they say adhd in my heart that's true they don't they don't literally say adhd on mm-hmm. them what kind of cupcakes were they earl gray oh that sounds really good was, yeah it's very good but they're All caffeinated right. so yep. yeah so you can't eat them at bedtime <laughs> No, not so much. Um, yeah. So before we begin, we finally have a bonus episode. Yes, which this is episode a, has a bonus a, companion episode. Oh yeah, it's a companion episode to this. So, um, oh, we didn't introduce the topic yet. Did we you? can say it. They know what it's about. Okay, whatever. <laughs> um, so today's episode is about moon goddesses, and this bonus episode is a discussion of the book Daughter of the Moon Goddess by Su Lin Tan, which is about the goddess Chang'e, who we talked about in an earlier episode. Mm-hmm. And that is now available on our Ko-fi page. Yeah. And you should pay us and then listen to it. Yeah, so if you yeah, if you want to give us some money and listen to that episode, it's very fun. We talk a lot about the concept of retellings of myths. And yes. yeah. So and that's something we'll be doing more often. We have a lot of books that we want to read and discuss, and how they talk about myths and stuff. So yeah, um, yeah, we're tra- we're starting a bonus series called Mythic Ladies Book Club, where we talk yeah. about adaptations of myths and folklore yeah. and all that. Mm-hmm. So get excited! It will be there. Yes. Yeah, and also on our website we have transcripts, our resources. Uh, for all our episodes, so feel free to check that out, methyladies.com. And yeah. Great. So, what is today's episode about? Okay, well, yeah, today's episode is about moon goddesses. Um, As we said, I still wanted the reveal. Yes. It's good. It's yes, fun. in case you skip the intro because you don't like to hear us talk about ourselves. <laughs> Sometimes happens. Um, Fair yeah, enough. So, the moon goddess, the moon. So, the moon it's most commonplace for in mythology for the sun to be viewed as a masculine symbol and the moon to be viewed as a symbol of the divine feminine. Obviously, that's not 100% true all the time. We have a whole episode about sun goddesses, so obviously those exist. But moon, the moon tends to be associated with femininity, women, goddesses, while the sun tends to be associated with masculinity, men, gods. Um, The moon itself is a symbol associated with emotion, changefulness, and fluidity, and those are traditionally feminine traits that are in line with society's expectations for women. But as Patricia Monaghan, who is the creator of the 
Encyclopedia of Goddesses and Heroines, which I got a lot of my sources from this episode. Uh, moon goddesses, who are passive, dependent, and fickle, are rare in world religion. Moon goddesses are often playing active roles in stories involving them, sometimes even causing harm to the people or gods around them. And even lists of moon goddesses can sometimes include figures whose domains include much more of the moon, such as Diana or Artemis or Juno. These women are associated with the moon, but they also are associated with a lot of other things besides the moon, and scholarly bias has limited their domains considerably in order to make them seem less powerful and significant. And so for this reason, as well as a few others, we won't be discussing Artemis in this episode because she could probably have her own episode and also she is associated with things besides the moon as well. And we see that, you know, we've talked about that before in mythology, the sort of flattening of female figures in mythology to a specific trait like beauty or love or the moon in order to take away the power that they were given in mythology. Mm-hmm. And in culture, moon goddesses often have relationship to the deities of the sun in their culture as well. It's often a marital relationship, but it's not always. They can be a brother or and sister relationship. They can be married and also be brother and sister, as happens yep. a lot. Um, and also in some cultures, in such as in some Korean and Indian mythologies, the sun and moon are two twin sisters, which I think is really cool. That is nice. Mm-hmm. There's also stories in which they're rivals and where one body is pursued by the other for eternity. Mainly the moon is being pursued by the sun, I'm pretty yeah. sure, you know. Yeah, I feel like that's the only one I've seen, yeah. Yeah, and also in sto- there are stories in which the moon was once the sun, but had their light diminished voluntarily. And that is particularly the story of the Pueblo goddess Pa'achleo. And many moon goddesses can also be associated with the ocean and water in general, which is, of course, Makes related sense. to the moon's tides. control of the ocean and tides. Uh, ancient people noticed that, and they were like, yes, water, moon. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the moon is associated with pregnancy, birth, and periods, because the period is a monthly, monthly. thing tied yeah. to the lunar cycle. And also, um, as related to pregnancy, the waxing and waning of the moon was considered a symbol of the growth of bellies during pregnancy um which is oh. cute and the phases of the moon also led to its association with shapeshifters in witchcraft those able to change reality at will you know and to change shape because the moon changes its shape you know it looks like some you know we've all seen the moon we mentioned in some episode that like a lot of like whatever werewolves and like i don't know mermaids mm-hmm are changed at the moon. I'm thinking of H2O. Yeah, wait, that's but, what yeah. we talked about. Was that in I think the it was the Yara. episode? I feel yeah. like it was in the Yara episode, wasn't it? Oh, I feel like I definitely talked about H2O in the Yara episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in general, I think she was also related to the moon, though, um, which is cool. And you told me that the word lunacy comes yes, from. Yes, it does. It does come from the word for moon. Fun facts. And in general, moon goddesses were viewed to have power over chaos and order and rule over the uncertainty of life. And an interesting symbol I have of that is the moon card in the tarot deck, which I have a brief thing about. And what does that say? The moon is the 18th card in the major arcana deck of the tarot, which is a section of cards in tarot that don't have a suit. And upright, when you pull it and it's upright, like um, facing you, it traditionally represents fears, illusions, uncertainty, femininity, and intuition. And reversed, it traditionally predicts the end of negative energy from fears, anxiety, and illusion and calls you to listen to the messages of your subconscious. And I think that represents a lot of what I was sort of saying with the ideas of the moon. It kind of represents uncertainty, unpredictability, um, but it also sort of represents like, well, in, in a way, like the sort of feminine tradition of like the intuition and listening to yourself. Um, yeah, I feel like a lot of those kind of like 90s books about like oh your inner goddess that was all about like finding different pre-christian goddesses and like relating it to whatever femininity feminism Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff yeah i feel like a lot of it was definitely like moon focused yeah i mean i think the moon became like a big symbol because first of all it's very obvious and the sun was like this big masculine symbol and everyone was like well then the moon but also because of the moon's association with like periods and stuff, like, yeah, I think it became like a very like feminist symbol almost. Which yeah, you know, it's its own thing. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, it is traditionally associated with uh, femininity, and that's sort of why. Which makes sense. So who is our first woman today? Okay, so first we're going to talk about the Maya moon goddess. Okay. So in Maya myth, the moon is typically viewed as female. So one version, the version told in the text, Popol Vuh, you know, that... Yeah, I've definitely read about it before, yeah. Yeah, it's about these, like, hero twins who, um, it contains the twins becoming the sun and the moon. Ah. And, yeah, in this version, like, the sun and the moon are envisioned as male, obviously, but Uh their transformation into the sun and moon could also be seen as, like, a literary expression of their political predominance rather than Mm -hmm. an expression of the Maya cosmology. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there are some Maya peoples who do envision the moon as male, hmm. but not a this figure. Okay, so. Mm-hmm. So, also, the goddess Ishtel is sometimes confused with the moon goddess because they have shared associations with fertility and procreation. Mm-hmm. If you Google, like, Maya moon goddess, a lot of Ishtel will come up. Mm-hmm. But there's no direct evidence that Ishtel was associated with the moon the Maya moon god we're talking about today is sometimes called Kanapo, Lady Moon, or Lipo, the moon, mm-hmm. or it can also be referred to as Mataktin or Mataktani, and that is different than Ishchel, who has different domains than the moon. Cool. So, the tale we're talking about today is the Kekchi tale of Sun and Moon, where the moon is the daughter of the earth god and the sun is her husband. And I'm going to tell kind of an abridged version of the story, because it's a mm-hmm. bit long. Um, also, worth noting, this is a version, not the version. Mm-hmm. There's definitely variations. Yeah. Every day, the sun passed by the house of the moon on his way to hunt. He always killed an antelope or deer and stopped by the moon's house to show her that he was a good hunter. Hmm. <laughs> I think that's really it? funny. Isn't it? <laughs> it's like flexing, like, oh, look at this deer I caught. Isn't that... Just trying to impress his so crush. Cool, you know, like, I, I barely even had to lift a finger. I'm yeah, exactly. Like... <laughs> and so the moon found out that he wasn't actually killing all these antelopes, but <gasps> often carried around an empty antelope skin to make her think he was a great hunter. <laughs> no way! That's hilarious. And, she, <laughs> and so she laughed at him. Um, when she realized that, <laughs> yes. which hurt his feelings, you know? No! <laughs> so he decided to trick the moon by turning into a hummingbird and flying around her tobacco flowers in her house. Hmm. The, the moon asked her father to kill the hummingbird because she wanted to use it in a design she was weaving. Okay. Her father injured the bird with his blowgun and the moon took pity on the bird and put it in her bed. Okay. When she woke up in the morning, the hummingbird was a man. <gasps> the sun. <laughs> Shocking. Twists, turns. Yeah, it's, it's, like a, it's such a fun start. It's very, like, teen romance mm-hmm. drama. <laughs> it's fun. Mm-hmm. So the sun repeatedly asked the moon to run away with him, but she said that if they ran away together, her dad would kill them with his blowgun. So basically what they end up doing is that they trick her father, the the earth god, by putting pepper into his blowgun so that when he tried to to blow it, it, like, the pepper, like, you know, shot in his face or whatever, so that they Mm -hmm. had time to escape. Yeah, yeah, very clever. Yeah, so they did that. They escaped. And then um, he, the father, asks the thunder and lightning to strike the two of them. And the sun and moon try to protect themselves by taking cover underwater by hiding in a turtle shell and a crab shell, respectively. So the, mm. the sun h- hides in a turtle shell. The moon hides in a crab shell. Mm-hmm. And so the turtle shell, like, sinks to the bottom of the lake or whatever easily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the crab shell isn't as effective and the moon ends up being killed. <gasps> yeah. And um, so when the sun surfaces, he finds the moon's blood covering the water. So the sun gathered up the bits of her blood and put them in 13 jars. And after 13 days, the sun opened the jars to find that they were each filled with different insects and snakes. Oh. Yeah. However, the last box contained his wife, the moon, who had been reborn. Yay. Interesting. Yay, yeah. And so next what happens is that the moon is stolen away by the devil 
and the son has to get her back. Wow. It ends up, yeah, when they say the devil, I wonder what that means, because obviously yeah. it's like the Christian Bible mm-hmm. version of the devil, but mm-hmm. anyway, so Moon is stolen away. The son has to get her back, and he does, but then the sun and the moon decide to separate, and the sun went <laughs> <laughs> divor- divorce. Yeah. Sun and moon. So I forgot about the, I guess, the section of myths in which the sun and the moon are divorcees. <laughs> but they're both married and enemies. Wow. So, well, not really enemies, I guess. Yeah. They're just divorced. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so the sun went up high in the sky and the moon went a little bit lower to get away from the devil. Uh-huh. The sun does his work in the day because he's so bright, but the moon uh-huh. isn't as bright, so she does her work at night. Uh-huh. And when the moon is covered up in darkness, sometimes it's because the devil is chasing her. Mm, I see. Wow. The end. That's a that quite fun? a story. Yeah. There's actually more if you read like the whole thing. I was obviously, mm-hmm. you know, summarizing yeah. a bit. Mm-hmm. But this one's cool because you get the origin of the sun and the moon and the yes. origin of menstruation. Oh, because of the blood. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And then the bugs. And so, Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I don't know quite what to make of the bugs. I think I might have skimmed something that said that it was kind of about sort of the idea of a menstruating woman being punished, I guess. Mm, or like, yeah. I don't I don't know. Anyway, mm-hmm. so, so according to H.E.M. Brakhaus, the symbolism of the jars full of menstrual blood is related to, quote, the Mesoamerican metaphor of the rain-bringing moon, that of a water jar cyclically filled and emptied. Mm-hmm. So, the moon cycles and like the woman and like a menstrual cycle have a shared imagery of being full and then emptied, like a jar being filled and then emptied of water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as for the number thirteen, it's not totally clear what the significance is, but Barakas theorizes that the thirteen jars represent the second half of the lunar cycle, mm-hmm. from waning moon to new moon. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, quote the inclined lunar jar, signaling the outpour of menstrual blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of like what you were saying before, about the moon's phases representing, well, you said pregnancy, but kind of similar. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, yeah, when you talked about, like, the moon dying, I was like, well, I guess that's kind of like the new moon because the moon's not there anymore. Like, it's dead. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, and also among the Maya peoples who believe the moon to be male, the moon is still tied to the origin of menstruation. The moon is then made into a womanizer whose first visit to a woman results in menstrual bleeding. Wow. Somehow. Um, huh. Obviously, there's variation, but Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting that's still tied to menstruation, even in um, with a male it is, figure. Yeah. yeah, I guess it just shows the power of that symbolism. Yeah, definitely. So even though we're not talking about Artemis, I still wanted to talk about uh, a Greek figure. So today we're going to talk about Selene, who is the early Greek goddess of the moon. And so unlike uh, Artemis, who is associated with the moon, but it's also associated with a lot of different things, Selene is basically considered to be like the moon or like the symbol of the moon the embodiment of the moon and she's the daughter of Thea who is the titaness of light and Hyperion who is the titan personification of the sun and she's also the sister and or wife of Helios the god of the sun makes sense her name comes from the greek silas meaning light brightness or gleam she's also called mena or mini which is the greek word for moon and phoebe oh. Which is a feminine form of Phoebus, which both Helios and Apollo are called, and it means bright. Oh. So, like her brother, Selene is charged with driving the moon chariot across the sky at night, bringing light to all humankind. So, Helios drives the sun chariot across the sky, bringing light, and Selene drives the moon chariot. Her chariot's drawn by white horses, and she's said to have white wings and wear a crown of light. And in an Orphic hymn, she is described as having horns. Which is so fun. It is fun. Yeah. And also she's like associated with cows in general. Like in some stories, her um, chariot is drawn by cows instead of um, instead of horses. Do you know why stuff. that is? I think that I might be because cows are viewed as like a motherly animal or like a, you know, nurturing animal. And are they? The moon. Yeah. Is it like for, 
fertility milk i don't know yeah well like the cow is one of Hera's symbols so i would say that it's definitely a a feminine symbol i mean that's cool the idea of a chariot being pulled by cows Mm -hmm. but also aside from driving the moon chariot selene gets around Ooh. I guess with the moon chariot. Um, <laughs> she's known for having several lovers and children. So according to her Homeric hymn, she sired Pandaya, the goddess of the full moon, with Zeus. Although some people think that Pandaya used to be like another epithet for Selene and then eventually became associated with its own figure. But either way, her and Zeus had a kid, goddess of the full moon. And then another Greek poet said that she and Zeus were also the parents of Ersa, the goddess of dew, and they were also said to be the parents of the nymph of Nemea, as in, like, oh. the place Nemea, home of the lion, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's all I know, is the lion. <laughs> yeah. Poet Quintus Smonaeus wrote that Selene and Helios were the parents of the Hari, the goddesses of the changing seasons. Nice. Um, so, yeah, she had a lot of kids, and her most famous love affair is with a beautiful shepherd mortal named Endymion, whom she first saw while flying her chariot across the sky one night. And through various means that differ depending on retellings of the myths, Endymion is granted eternal life through eternal sleep, and during times of the new moon, Selene is able to visit him. She has 50 children by him, according to some myths, and some say that includes Narcissus, who is, of course, famous for ah, being vain and beautiful. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah. At least if you travel around the whole world, you see a lot of people. Yeah. And she, like, saw this one guy and was like, that's the guy for me, and then would, like, stop and, like, look at him. And they were like, hey, uh, you got to drive the moon. quite romantic. It's, I like it. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah, various ways she put him to sleep for and through eternity, and he's there. And the satirist, um, like satirical writer Lucian, wrote yeah. a story about the relationship between Selene and Endymion being disrupted by a chatty girl named Muya, who constantly bothered Endymion and woke him up. And in her rage, Selene transformed the girl into a fly, and she still bothers sleepers to this day. Ooh. So. If you've ever been bothered by a fly in your sleep. Flies are very annoying. She's right mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. That is who to blame. Um, And she also had a love affair with Pan, the satyr god of the wild. Wow. Who seduced her with a, quote, snowy bribe of wool. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> yeah, you know, they, they had a thing. Good for her. She sounds fun. Yeah, and so, of course, with all these children, it is natural that she was associated with childbirth. And the full moon in particular would be believed to be a time where birthing pains would be the least painful. So they would, um, oh. people would try and give birth during the full moon. She was also associated with love spells um, and would, you know, nice. be prayed toward during love spells. And she's also associated with Hecate, isn't she? Is she? I thought so. Like, isn't she one of uh, the triple goddesses? Oh, she might be. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Yes, and she's also linked with other mythological figures, including, of course, Artemis. Naturally. Aphrodite, Hecate, as I said, Pandaya, Pesiphae, oh. and Elithia, who is the goddess of childbirth. And so nice. all of those make sense. Actually, there's a fun story or like that was written where basically uh, Selene and Aphrodite were talking and they were like complaining about their love for mortal men. And Selene was talking about Endymion and Aphrodite was talking about Adonis. And that just sounds like a lovely piece of like literature. That um, sounds really fun. Yeah. And she's also like mentioned, she doesn't have a ton of like myths that are all about her, um, but she's mentioned in myths and of important events in Olympic god history, such as the Gigantomachy and the fight with Typhon, the giant, like, monster guy. You know, that guy. The Titan? I think, I felt like he was more than a You know what I'm I'm thinking of is the Hercules movie. One of them is like Cyclone. Yeah... I think you're thinking of a different thing. Um, I I realize that now. I was just thinking of Hercules Disney movie or the Titans. You can't trust the Hercules Disney movie to be a source of Greek mythology. I used to no, yeah, that's that's what I was. Yeah, same, same. I was pretentious, like, oh, this isn't right, but I still watch it. It's Mm -hmm. a fun movie. I was like, where are the twelve labors? (laughs) This this sucks. 
Exactly. But yeah, so that is Selene, who is the actual Greek goddess of the moon. And yeah, I think she's a, she's a she's a rocking good time, I would say. She sounds really fun. Yeah. She she has a good time. That's yeah. all I got to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she really does. Mm-hmm. And like you were kind of saying about how most of the moon goddesses aren't as like demure as mm-hmm. they are purported to be. Like, yeah, she's awesome yeah she's definitely not demure like she's partying she's demure but she is partying like she's she had an affair with pan who was like the party guy so yeah definitely like she she is having a ball good for her yeah so my next lady is mayari from the philippines Mm. so she's a moon goddess in the philippines specifically in the mythology of the kapampangan people and the tagalog people Mm. so in my research I also came across a moon goddess referred to as Buan, but I believe they refer to the same figure. Buan means moon in Tagalog. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, there wasn't like a crazy amount of good research, so this isn't like super long. Mm-hmm. But okay, so Mayari has a brother, Apolaki, who is the god of the sun. And they are mm-hmm. the children of Batala, the creator god and the supreme being. Some stories also include Tala, the goddess of the morning and evening star, mm-hmm. as either a sibling of Mayari or her daughter. So the first variant I have is from the Kapampangan people. So Batala loved his children, the sun and moon, and was always with them. When he became old and weak, he could no longer spend all his time with them and requested they come visit him. Mm-hmm. But they didn't o- obey his wish. Uh-oh. Batala died suddenly without leaving a will. Interesting. Very. So this resulted in Apolaki and Mayari fighting, as both of them wanted to rule the earth. They fought for a long time with bamboo clubs. Eventually, Apolaki injured Mayari, resulting in her losing an eye. He felt terrible for what he did to his sister and said that they can exercise equal power, but at different times. Since then, Apalaki rules the earth during the day, and Mayari rules the earth at night. Mayari's light is fainter than her brother's because she only has one eye. Hmm. That makes sense. So yeah, a little sibling rivalry, which is fun. Yeah. So, okay, so this other variant, um, the sun god, Arau, so mm-hmm. sun, and the moon goddess, Buan, each had a numerous family of stars. Mm. Those of the sun god were a golden yellow color and extremely bright, and those of the moon goddess were silvery white with no heat emanating from them. Mm-hmm. The moon goddess was worried that her stars would be unable to withstand the heat and light of the sun and his stars, so he made a pact with the sun god that they would both destroy their stars as a measure of safety. The sun devoured all his stars, and the moon hid hers in the mm. obscurity of the clouds. Classic Clever. con. <laughs> <laughs> When the sun learned of this deception, he was enraged. Because of this, the sun is always in pursuit of the moon to get revenge Ah, for tricking him. Sometimes the sun gets close enough to bite her, which results in an eclipse. Ow. When you get to their creation story where it's like, this is because of this, this is because of this, it's like always like, oh, so cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, eclipse. Oh, I do love that. Mm-hmm. Time heals the wound as the moon is always waxing and waning. Mm-hmm. It is also because of this that the stars disappear during the day because the moon hides them and only brings them forth when her eldest daughter, Tala, the morning and evening star, says mm-hmm. it's safe. The end. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. I think it's interesting that there's like more of a violent relationship between the sun and the moon in this, in this uh, particular instance. Yeah. I don't have, like, analysis, but I just think it's interesting that, you know, like, in some stories they're married, and it's like, yeah, they both spread light, and others, it's like, no, one's chasing the other. Yeah, like, I wonder if that has to do with, like, sort of positive to negative feelings about, like, going to the night, going to the day, you know? Yeah, interesting. But, like, how how negative can you really feel about it being night? Yeah. Maybe very. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think that the night is generally just, you know, it's a scarier time, as we know. Everyone's afraid of the dark, or not everyone, but, like, most people are afraid of the dark to some extent. I feel like even if someone says they're not afraid of the dark, in certain circumstances, you will be afraid of the dark. Um, I mean, the the dark is objectively a spookier time. 
Yeah, and like the moon is is a, it's at night, and like it provides light, but not as much as the sun. And I think that's also one of the reasons why it's more uncertain. And it's also because you know sometimes the moon doesn't shine as brightly as others. Um, so it's like less certain. So it's like and, yeah, you can't necessarily rely on the moon every night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it's not always meaningful to like the culture. Maybe it's just sometimes like, like a, a fun, fun story. story. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> Who's to say? Um, But yeah, it's interesting that you have these like sort of more violent stories because I also have a few stories that are a little more violent when it comes to the origin of the moon, which I think is really interesting. And those ones are a little funner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so the first one I want to talk about um, is Koyoshalki, who is the Aztec goddess of the moon. And her name means painted with bells, which is interesting. Um, and she was the leader of her brothers, uh, who were the Kenstan Witnawas, or the gods of the southern stars. And in one story, it says that with her brothers, she launched an attack against her mother, Coatlicue, the earth mother Aztec deity. And that was because their mother was pregnant, and they were embarrassed, and they thought that she was like shaming all of them by being pregnant. Um, not the best motivation for attacking Wait, your mother. Wait, why? Why would that be bad? They because have, like she had to be to be pregnant when they were born. But like maybe it was illegitimate, you know? Like oh, it's not like all know. the details. Okay, yeah. Um, and others say they were afraid she was would sire an heir that would overpower them all, which makes a bit more sense. Very um, fair. Yeah. yeah, and they were right to be afraid because her new child was Huitzilopochtli, the Aztec god of war. And he led the fight against them and defeated them roundly. So, yeah, they were right. Sucks. Um, yeah. And he threw Koyoshalki from the top of their home, which was Kowatepec or Serpent Mountain. And she fell, scattering to pieces as she did. And he also scattered her brothers from the top of the mountain. And I'm guessing they became stars, but I don't know if I read that. And then some stories say that he cut off her head and threw it into the sky where it became the moon. Although it's possible this detail was added by writers later. So, yeah, that is a story. There's another version of the story in which Koyoshalki knew about her siblings' attack but did not join them. She was not the leader. Instead, she tried to warn her mother, and when her siblings found out, they were the ones that cut off her head to kill her. Rough. And in mourning, her mother placed her head in the sky, and it's shown as the moon in remembrance basically so mean to their mother yeah but this time she was like trying to warn her mother and was like listen they're gonna attack you and their siblings were like no don't tell our mother and then you're betrayed us so now we're gonna cut off your head yeah not not nice also it's interesting it kind of reminds me of the zeus chronos story oh yeah yeah oh you're gonna sire someone that's more powerful than you and he's gonna defeat you and then cut you into pieces but I like I like stories where it's like some natural thing happens where like oh this has become the sun now like her head is the sun now like that, or yeah. the moon the, like that makes that's sense. kind of fun I like when the moon and the sun are like made of stuff yeah like it's round it makes sense yeah and she may have also been like related to the older Aztec moon deity Metzli who had two phases one for growth and one for stagnation. And she is associated with midwives and sweat baths, both of which, Ooh. to me, make sense. Sweat baths? Like hot houses or whatever. Okay. Cool. And so my other lady um, is Huitaka, who is the Chipcha goddess of the moon and intoxication. Cool. And so the Chipcha are an indigenous confederation centered around the Altiplano Cundaboyacense and the modern-day Colombian Andes Mountains. Um, and they're also called the Muisca. And um, in many myths, Huitaka is viewed as an evil goddess of indulgence and drunkenness sent to destroy civilization, like kind of like the devil trickster spirit sort of figure. And she was married to Bochica, who was the conservative chief of the gods. And while he taught the Muisca people useful crafts, she worked against them, undoing all his work and teaching men evil. And one day she created a flood to drown all of his followers. And he was so angry at her that he threw her into the sky where she became the moon. Nice. So, similar story. You know, they both got thrown into the sky and became the moon through violent means. And she's also depicted with the face of an owl and several species of spiders have been named after her. Fun facts. That is cool. 
Yeah. And that's all I really have on her, but I thought it would be interesting to talk about her alongside Kolya Schalke because it's a similar story, you know, them fighting and being thrown into the sky by someone and becoming the yeah, villain that way. they're very similar. Mm-hmm. So my next one also has kind of a similar-ish thing of the moon being mm-hmm. formed by something. Mm-hmm. It's, really not, it's really not that similar. So my next lady <laughs> is Kutar from Finnish mythology. Ooh. And... Yeah, so she's known as Ku or Kutar. Ku just means moon. Nice. And yeah, Kutar is like lady moon. Her solar counterpart is Pivatar, who is also female and whose name means lady day. They both appear in the Finnish epic poem, the Kalevala, and in some other folk poems as well. Which you read that, didn't you? I did read it. Um, I didn't read all of it. Do you remember there being moon references? No, but I'm sure. Fair enough. <laughs> um, so do you remember the creation myth? The egg. Yes, exactly. The egg. Okay, mm-hmm. so the Finnish creation myth involves a goddess named Ilmatar, the daughter of the sky, coming to the waters and becoming pregnant. She gestated for a long time, but was unable to give birth. Mm-hmm. One day, a golden eye, which is a type of duck, flew onto Ilmatar's knee and laid a bunch of eggs. Ilmatar was burned by the heat of the eggs incubating and caused them to fall into the water and shatter. From the lower part of the egg shell <laughs> formed the land, and from the upper part of the egg shell formed the sky. The egg white formed the moon, and mm. the yolk became the sun. Isn't that lovely? I mean, when you, when, you know how you, you can call fried eggs sunny side up? Yeah. Same thing. The yolk looks like yeah. a sun. <laughs> and so as Ilmatar walked along the waters, her footsteps became pools for fish. And when she pointed, she created contours for the land. Yes. And eventually she she gave birth to Vainamoinen. Yes. Who is the hero of the Kalevala, whose name I think is really fun. Yes. Vainamoinen. So many umlauts. Yeah. So many umlauts. There's like three and, of them. Yeah, there is three. And in some versions, the golden eye lays its eggs on Vainamoinen's knees instead of Ilmatar's. Boo. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's such a fun creation story. I really like that one. I like the egg a lot. Yeah, so it's an example of the world egg, which is a mm-hmm. mythological motif found in a variety of world cultures where the world is formed from the hatching of an egg, mm-hmm. which I think is so fun. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting that it's found in a variety of different places, too, because it's, I mean, it seems kind of, like, random, right? But, like, it's not if so many people, like, looked at eggs and thought about, yeah. you know, the world. I don't know. Mm-hmm. The world's egg is found in the Vedas, in Chinese mythology, and in one version of the creation myth from Egyptian mythology, to name a few examples. Mm-hmm. There's also more examples. But isn't that so fun? It is really fun. And it's... You know, what came first, the world or the egg? <laughs> so true. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, I just think it's really beautiful, you know, it's nice. Like, you know, the world the, an egg hatched and the world came out, you know. Exactly. But you know what? This this duck existed before the world. Well, so did Ilmatar. Um Which came so. first, the duck and or the world i don't know does it talk about how she became pregnant because she gets like pregnant in a weird way too i can't remember how no i don't i don't know it's like by the wind or something um (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah um but it's such a fun i feel like a lot of creation stories are just like so fun like they're so creative Mm -hmm. um yeah so there's little information about kutar outside of her occasional mention in folk poetry Mm-hmm. It seems that she and Pivatar weren't some of the most important figures in Finnish cosmology. There's like just not that much information about them. Mm-hmm. But there's but there's also relatively little known about the beliefs of pre-Christian Finns, to my yeah. understanding. So they could have been more important. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, Kutar spins gold thread and weaves clothes out of them, while her sister Pivatar spins silver thread and weaves clothes out of them. And young maidens call upon them to give them silver and gold jewelry and clothes. Isn't that weird that the moon is gold? Yeah, and the sun I was is just silver? thinking. I was like, that seems opposite, right? And it even was opposite earlier. And I mentioned the Mayari something with gold being the sun, but like it, it seems like it would be intuitive that yellow equals the sun equals gold, right? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I even like checked it in multiple sources. I was like, that's not right, but it is. Yeah. Um, wow. I don't know what to make of it, but I think it's fun. Yeah, for sure. And um, so Kutar and Paibatar are said to be the Amus or origin mothers of bees, wasps, and hornets. And people would call on them for protection against bees, mm-hmm. wasps, and hornets. There's also one folk poem where it suggests that the world tree grew from the gold and silver tears of Kutar and Paivatar. Interesting. Yeah. And um, even though it seems that Kutar wasn't as powerful as moon deities and other cultures, one takeaway I have from my research is that like she and her sister are like the sun are always evoked together and spoken of together. Like they cried silver and gold tears together to create the tree, you know? Mm-hmm. Which I think is sweet. Like, it seems like a lot of sun and moon deities are at odds with each other in some way, or, like, they're opposites. Um, it's more rare that you see them, like, as siblings who get along. And as girl siblings. They're both yeah. girls. Yeah, I think that's really fun. Yeah, I feel like it sort of stresses the similarities of the sun and moon instead of their differences, which is nice. I think that's mm-hmm. cool. They're just, like, best friends. Like, me and my sister, huh? Anyway. I think it's really... Well, I think it's really interesting, first of all, when the sun and the moon are both women. I actually think that's something that I might have, like, remarked on to myself when I was reading the Kalevala. It's very rare. Like, if they're the same gender, like, it's usually men. Or maybe I'm just making that up. But, like, the hero twins, you know? Yeah, the sun and the I think moon, that's that true. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. And yeah, I like that they're, you know, friends. They're not fighting each other. Um, they're Yeah, they're literally along. just sisters who spend all their time together. And yeah. that's sweet. That is really sweet. I do like and that. And they're always, like, invoked together. Like, they're just, like, mm-hmm. besties. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's nice. Yeah. That's very cool. And so our last lady of the night, or day, whenever you're listening, <laughs> is Mama Kilia, who is the Inca goddess of the moon. And she's also the goddess of marriage, the menstrual cycle, and considered nice. the defender of women. So, Gia is the Quechua word for moon, making her name mean Mother Moon, essentially, which is nice. lovely. And she was considered the third deity of the Inca pantheon after Inti, the god of the sun, and Iyapu, the god of thunder. However, in some coastal areas, she was considered more important than Inti, which is interesting. I couldn't find a reason why. My hypothesis... Because coastal tides. Yes. My hypothesis was tidal movements, question mark, which is interesting. And I think that uh, what it means for her to be like the third most important one um, in the Pantheon, but in some places more important than the God of the Sun. Like the most important, Mm. I would say. It is cool. Yeah. And so she's married to Inti as well as being his older sister. So... And she's a very important goddess, um, as I sort of already said, the third most important god in the pantheon. Inca calendars were based on the lunar cycle, so she was very important for determining time and dates. Mm. And the timing of many rituals were also based on the lunar calendar, so like that was really important. So she was important in that respect, I would guess, slash say. Mm-hmm. And she had her own temple in Cusco, the capital of the Inca Empire, and she was imagined as both a human figure and a silver disc. So as like a figure and also yeah. like as, you know, a moon iconography sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a few short stories associated with her. And the first one is basically answers the question of why the moon has dark spots. Ooh. In case you've ever wondered. And so the story says that a fox fell in love with Mama Kilia because of her great beauty. She's said to be very beautiful naturally. Mm -hmm. And when he rose into the sky to embrace her, she squeezed him against her. And so the shadow of the fox against her brightness produced the dark patches on the moon. It's kind of nice. So that's the story of that. Very nice. You know, it's kind of a love story. She hugged him so hard that it just like changed how she appeared. Like, that's really cool. Exactly. Yeah. That's romantic. Yeah. And the story... They had some stories uh, involving lunar eclipses as as well. And so if a lunar eclipse happened, it was believed that an animal such as a mountain lion or a serpent was attacking Mama Kilia. And so if that animal succeeded, they would be left in complete darkness during the night, like for all of eternity. Um, so that it was pretty scary time to have a lunar eclipse, which understandable. Yeah, definitely. 
are scary, especially when the moon turns like red. Um, and so traditionally, um, people would make really loud noises and like throw spears to try and chase the animal away. And they were successful ah. because we still have the moon today and it did not get attacked by a, a lion or killed by a lion. And so she had a very distinguished family. She's said to be the mother of Manco Capac, who is the first ruler of the Incas. And also she was the mother of his wife and older sister, Mama Opio. So then the royal line is kind of descended from her. Yeah, basically the mother, she's basically the mother of the Inca Empire. And basically the royal line is descended from her. So she is like the, the god that the royal family derives their like power from. She's their like justification for their power, which is really yeah. interesting. And shows like the amount of power and significance that she had in the culture. I Definitely. Would say. And yeah. The foundation of the Inca Empire, um, their relationship of um, the rulers, uh, Manco Capac and Mama Opia, was modeled after Inti and Mama Quilia's relationship, which mm -hmm. shows their importance as well as like the marrying older sister, you know, sort of thing. Also, when the Ichma people were absorbed by the Inca Empire, she became known as the mother of their chief god, Pachacamac. So she basically is like the mother goddess figure as well as like the moon goddess figure and she's kind of like the main goddess of the of the pantheon it sort of seems to mm -hmm. me um or one of the main goddesses because she has like so much power and is just like a very important icon and it's clear that she like the moon was very important i mean the moon is really important yeah i think the moon i mean i love the moon big fan same yeah um i think she's great yeah <laughs> You know, it's really beautiful, and all the different stories of how the moon came to be, or how the who the moon is, or the moon's relationship with the sun is just really interesting. I thought it was really fun that like I didn't even know what your women were like, but I like was talking about the relationship, and I was like, sometimes one's being chased by the other, and sometimes and it was sisters, right. and exactly. you and then there was twin sisters, them. and I was like, whoa, like yeah, there is so much <laughs> difference in their relationships, and I think that's really cool. Because, I don't know, I just think it's interesting. I wish, like, I had more of an ability to analyze, like, the difference in cultures of why they depict one relationship as opposed to another and, like, what that says. Yeah. You know, I just don't like, know. Like, maybe it means everything. Maybe it means nothing. You we know, don't I really mean, know. It probably says, like, something about, like, how they view relationships and stuff. Like, obviously, yeah. the relationship between Mama Kilia and Inti were, like, was, like, important because they modeled their, like, their ruler's relationship after it. Mm -hmm. um, but, Yeah, and some, some, they're, like, a little more symbiotic. Some of them, they're, like, actively opposing each other. Or yeah. some of them, they get, just get along. Yeah, or, like, one of them was, like, well, why, like, you know, the, the one with Mayari. Where they're um, battling for yeah the inheritance of the sky or whatever. Yeah, like, that's interesting. And, like, it's the literally, like, chase. siblings fighting over their father not leaving a will. Like, that could literally be, like, a movie now. No, it literally like is a movie. Like, it's so often, it's, like, such, it's, it was so funny. It's, like, it's such a it's such a human story, thing right yeah, you know it's so interesting dad didn't leave a will <laughs> dad didn't leave a will and so we're gonna fight it out like yeah exactly yeah i think like the, the different relationships in these stories are really cool it's basically what definitely i agree and it's interesting that like i mean it makes sense but like everyone views the moon in relation to the sun and vice versa mm -hmm. like that they are considered to be related to each other if not like if not always in a positive way like, people yeah. recognize that the sun and the moon are associated with each other mm -hmm. before, like, we knew about the solar system. Yeah, I th I think it's also interesting that it, they're sort of viewed as opposites oftentimes. Yeah. Like, they're viewed as, like, some people be like, oh, they're as different as the sun and the moon. It's like, well, the yeah. sun and the moon aren't that different, you know? Like, right? But also, like, I mean, we know this now that the moon reflects the sun's light that is true like they they have to do with each other mm -hmm. exactly but also i feel like creation stories are just like some of the funnest mythological stories mm -hmm. out there like they're always so fun yeah and when you're like talking about the moon you're talking about a very like basic creation story you know we're going back to the very beginning of yeah like the land the sea the sun the moon 
the yeah. water. Like, these are all yeah. the very, very basic components of the creation story. Yeah, and so it's really cool to, like, sort of just peek in and see, like, what they're saying about the moon and stuff. Yeah, it's really interesting. And how, for the most part, they're pretty, like, positive. Like, in um, the Nawa stories, they were, like, pretty violent. Yeah. And, like, not necessarily characterizing the moon very positively, but I feel like most of these were, like, neutral to positive. Yeah. I mean, and it also depended on, like, the story, too. Like, the even with the Aztec story, like, it depended on which version, because one version was like, oh, she was trying to kill her mother, and the other was like, no, she was trying to stop her mother from being killed. Yeah. Very different stories, depending on which one version you I have. Like, I like when they ascribe a lot of personality to the moon. Same with yeah. Selene. There was, yeah. there was so much going on with her. That's yeah. so fun. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's like goes back to what I said at the beginning. Like, the moon is a very active figure in mythology, even though, like, we don't necessarily associate the moon as, like, a big active figure. You know, it's not going to, like, burn you or destroy you, you know? But it's also um, constantly changing and moving. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it makes sense to view it, like, more active rather than more passive. Absolutely, yeah. Like, it's different every single night. Yeah, absolutely. It's very I true. I wish this episode was going up during the next full moon. I think the next full moon is on, like, the 16th of May or something like that. Yeah. Let's all listen to me with ladies during the full moon. Well... <laughs> Celebrate, yeah, ce- yeah. Celebrate the full <laughs> moon with Mythal ladies. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, check out our bonus episode, companion episode to this episode. We'll talk exactly. more about mythology and the moon. And reminder that you can also access our bonus episodes with a one-time payment, not just a recurring payment. Very true. And also, please re- leave a review, subscribe. And we'll be back here next two weeks, in two weeks, with another episode. Next fortnight. Next fortnight with another episode. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. May the Ladies Podcast is produced, researched, and presented by Elizabeth LaCroix and Zoe Kenninger. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MythaLadies and visit us on our website at MythaLadies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Cayo. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thanks for listening. See you in two weeks.